Okay, a few things to um, mention before we get started, and then some uh, some introduction stuff before I pray. Uh, one is there's a there's a couple classes that we uh, we did before this that sort of go along with it that might be helpful. So you you might have attended them, but if you didn't, uh, one was leading little ones, and we did that in May. So that was a three-week class that we had in, in, in last May. Um, and I'm telling you this because they're online. So if you go to the website and go to the audio section, you can find these other classes that sort of relate to this one. So the Leading Little Ones class was in May 2013, um, dealing specifically with uh, bringing children up, young children up, and the discipline and instruction of the Lord and what that looks like. And then it was a, a two-week deal we did in June just for dads called Foundations for Fathers. So those were sort of uh, uh, foundational, bedrock, instructional stuff before this class. And then this was meant to be an extra practical one. So that was in May and June. Uh, We got this class now. And then on November 3rd, we'll talk more about this in in a couple weeks. But on November 3rd, we're going to make available some resources for you uh, for the Advent season for the four weeks before Christmas. So we're going to do some special things this year. Uh, we love Christmas, or I love Christmas. And uh, in our family, we celebrate it all month long in December. And so uh, we're going to give you some resources. So if you'd like to celebrate Advent, the coming of Christ, uh, not just on Christmas Day, but if you want to blow it up and make a big deal in your family for the entire month and the uh, Sundays preceding Christmas Day, we'll give you some resources and a plan, a calendar, some ideas how to do an Advent wreath and, and things like that, that that we've done have been a lot of fun. So that's coming up on November 3rd. Uh, also wanted to uh, to pass these out. These are just blank pieces of paper. So if you have questions, we're... I'm trying to do this class in an, in an hour, which doesn't leave a lot of time for, uh, without leaving time for question and answer. So, uh, I mean, I'm around afterwards. You just take one and, and pass it. I'm around afterwards if you've got some questions. Um, but if you'd like and you have a question, you can just write it down on, a, on that sheet of paper and you can hand it to me and just give it to me. And, and if I get a bunch of those, I could... Uh, I might be able to address them in the in the class time over the next couple of weeks or ad- address them personally with you or get you an email or something like that. But I imagine that the material might bring up some questions in your mind. And so that way, you know, that uh, you can you can ask those and you've got a you, you've got a place for it. So if you've got those questions, please ask them if we do the class again, um, that'll be helpful so that we can maybe cover things that we we, we miss this time around. A few more things. One is a, a free resource that's available back there if you don't already have one. And that's a copy of that little gospel tract for uh, for kids or adults. Kind of like the Jesus Storybook Bible. We say, hey, it's great for kids, but it's, it's great for grown-ups too. So uh, who will be king is a lot like that. And we've used that a lot in our family, and it's, 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 it's been really helpful. So... Uh, that's a free resource for you tonight. Uh, as well, you, uh, if you come in the subsequent weeks, you'll get a free resource each week. So that's how we're trying to get you to come back. Uh, so next week and the week after, I'm not saying what that resource will be, but uh, 
it, it will be a, a resource as we deem it. Um, and, and then also uh, at the on our last night together in two Wednesdays, I'll give you a sheet that's going to I did this for the children, the parenting class too. a sheet that will in, that will include every resource that I mention uh, over the next three weeks. So if I mention a resource, don't don't worry, it's going to be on that sheet. You don't have to you don't have to write it down. Um, but I did want to just start by showing you um, what I found to be uh, like my favorite resources. So just to highlight these, and then again, these will be on the list, so don't feel like you, you need to write them down. Uh, I think we sell all of them, but, but one, and we have copies of the one, but uh, maybe we even sell it. I'm not sure. Marina can let me know. Uh, but, but these are the most useful books for me, one in preparation for this class, and even uh, worshiping with our uh, with our family and, and getting motivated to do that. So uh, there are these. Uh, Joel Beakey has a small little book called Family Worship. This is just a great, like a, a like a primer on what family worship is, and it's a super quick, easy read. I mean, you could you could do this in a couple hours on an afternoon, and you could or an evening, and you could work through it. So there's the Family Worship. Uh, by Joel Beakey, uh, helping children to understand the gospel. That's the one that I'm not sure, Marina. We don't we don't sell this, right? Okay, I, I know we've we've actually got a bunch of copies back here, so we probably anyway. Helping children understand the gospel is put out by Children uh, Desiring God, and it is a uh, it's a great resources. It, it's basically ten uh, family devotions that work through the gospel. Okay, so it's ten devotions, ten gospel truths, and you you work that through with your family, and you you have a, a deeper understanding of the gospel. So uh, really fun, really helpful. Uh, this is a um, maybe a little bit more than the Joel Beakey book, but also sort of a, a primer on um, family worship, but has a, a lot more practical stuff in it. And this is called "A Neglected Grace" by Jason Hella Pulos. So, but it, another really good resource, right? Uh, the Shepherd Leader at Home by Timothy Whitmer. Uh, this is for uh, fathers, dads, men, specifically what leadership in the home looks like. And uh, we sell that. It's a great resource. Um, these three are, are, are just incredible. And we use these all in, in our home. Uh, and it is helping you to use Scripture to pray, uh, husbands, for your uh, wives, water of the word, uh, wives for your husbands, prayers of an excellent wife, and uh, parent or parents for your children, setting their hope in God. So just goes through scripture and you're basically praying scripture over your husband or over your wife or over your over your children. So those are great. And then probably my all time um, favorite resource that we, we keep trying other things in our home and we keep coming back to it. Um, it's an old resource, but it's really timeless. And it's called Leading Little Ones to God. So I'll mention this more and talk about it more next week and the week after. But Leading Little Ones to God is like a, is like a staple. It's like a systematic theology uh, for family worship. And you, you walk your kids through the, the glory of God. So really really neat, neat resource. 
Okay, a couple more things before I pray. Um, first, let me tell you what the goals for this class are. These would be my goals for uh, our time together over the next three weeks. Three of them, number one. Understand for all of us and all of you to understand what family worship is and what it is not. And that'll be, we'll, we'll have a bit of, that's what most of tonight's going to be, but that'll be also featured next week and in the, the following week where I'm, uh, we're really going after your, your mind and, and helping you to understand, okay, what, what is this? Get your mind around what family worship is and what it's, what it's not. Number two, second goal is uh, to uh, motivate all of you, and it's my personal goal here, to motivate all of you to implement family worship in your homes, okay, to implement family worship in your home. So that will also be throughout this class, one, two, and three, but not so much going after your mind there as going after your heart. Going after your heart, trying to motivate you. And I just understand it, but to get a desire in us to implement family worship in our homes. And then finally, number three, uh, to equip all of you for the task of worshiping together as a family in your home. And so going after your hands. And that'll be um, next week and the week after. Not much practical tonight. Tonight is what is family worship and why should I do it? That's really what the bulk of tonight is going to going to be. So my goal and my hope is that we would understand what family worship is and what it's not, that we would be motivated to uh, to go after it and to practice family worship in our homes. And then number three, to equip you so that you feel like it's something that you can actually you can actually do. So I would want to say this, that this class is uh, not the purpose of this class or one of my goals is not to heap any guilt on anybody. Okay, so if you've never done the things that we're talking about or you've done them and it hasn't gone well or you um, have felt silly or felt like a failure, my goal is not to heap a bunch of guilt on you so that you feel so bad and so terrible and so guilty that you're driven to begin worshiping in your home because that that will not go well. That will not go well. And I don't want you to feel that from me. So please do not get that impression from what I'm saying. Uh, this purpose of the class is to uh, convince the unconvinced and equip the unequipped. Okay, just going back to those goals. That's really the idea here, to convince the unconvinced that this is an important thing and to equip the unequipped. And remember that this material is equip, uh, applicable to you whatever stage of life you're in. So it'll be applicable in different ways, but it's, it's, it's going to be applicable to you whatever stage of life you're in. So um, if you're single, um, whether you're not married or whether you are married or whether you're married and have kids or whether you, uh, you, know, you have kids in the home that are young or old or they're out of the home, whatever it is. Uh, this this is going to be applicable to all of you because as you're going to see, okay, let's take even you know some of you who are here who aren't aren't married in your family worship, is that the, the habits, uh, the habits that you have now and that you form now, in terms of personal worship and personal devotion to the Lord, that is what is going to carry on, if and when God were to grow, your family. And so it wouldn't be a switch that you would turn on. And some of us in the room could probably share with you just how difficult that is to not have those personal habits 
and then to be married and, and trying to build the personal habits and then trying to build that habit with your spouse or if you have kids with your spouse and your kids is really an uphill battle. And if we could, we would go back and we would, we would become disciplined, just us and the Lord in our secret worship and, and then just bring others into it. So it, it is um, applicable to all of us in different ways. So here's the three class titles that give you an idea of what the classes will be about. Tonight's class is called, as you have on your outline there, uh, Worth Putting on Your Plate. Okay, so making a case for family worship. Worth Putting on Your Plate. Class two and three, uber practical. Class two is family worship trials and errors. I have some funny stories, I think, uh, at how this has been an absolute failure in our home at times. Uh, So trials and errors. And then the third class is family worship. It's awkward when dad sings loudly is the title of class number three. Give you an idea of where we're where we're going with that one. So tonight, though, worth putting on your plate. Let me open us up with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, because you are who you are, we must worship you. Father, our worship should rise from us to you as individuals, as churches, and as families. Compel us and equip us for this joyful responsibility. By your Spirit, according to your word, for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It looks like we ran out of outlines. So is there anybody that does not have an outline? Paul, does, you, does, does your wife have an outline or do you, have, do you have one together or no? Let's just try to make sure that at least every, every couple has an outline to share. I apologize. I, I did not print enough of those. So you've got an outline you can follow along. I'm going to say some just introductory comments here that uh, are not on your outline, but I, I think you've got a box there on your outline that you can write a couple notes in if you'd like. Uh, three introductory comments, though, and I'll repeat these again at the end with a bit more detail. Um, these might be surprising, but number one, a formal want to be clear on these. Formal family worship is not required by the Bible. Formal family worship is not required by the Bible. So formal family worship, a set formal liturgical time is never required of families in Scripture. Okay, it's required of churches. And we come together collectively, but it's not required of families. Okay, so this is not an, uh, an open and shut case. This is not, I'm going to give you a verse. And because of that verse, you must go home and do as we say. That's not what we're, that's not what we're talking about. So we need to not be legalistic, legalistic about this. So please don't hear that. Uh, You will not find family worship, even as we're going to describe a lot of it, just flat out required in Scripture. Number two, formal family worship, if done, is not the most important spiritual thing that you do. 
Okay, it is important, but it is not the most important spiritual thing that you do. The regular, formal worship the Bible requires is not secret, it's not personal, it's not family, but it's the church. Okay, that we can't escape from. So we do, as God's people, need to take absolutely serious the worship of the church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So commitment to gathering together with God's people on the Lord's day and worshiping with his people, a Christian must be committed to that. Very committed to that, devoted to that, because scripture does make that plain. That is required by the Bible. But formal family worship, not required by the Bible, and it's not the most important spiritual thing that you do. It feels like I'm talking you out of this before I even try to talk you into it. Number three, family worship. I want this to be in the back of your mind too. Family worship should be fun for everyone. Family worship should be fun for everyone. Or if that word is offensive... Some Christians find the word fun offensive, enjoyable, uh, you know, nothing should be fun. That's terrible. Uh, Enjoyable, delightful, cheerful, engaging. Those are also good words. That's where some of the funny stories will come in next week, because I'll talk about how that was not important to me when we began to worship together as a family. What was important to me was the seriousness of what we were doing. You know, so I'm yelling at my kids while I'm leading them in worship. And those don't go together very well. So it has got to be fun, enjoyable, delightful, cheerful, engaging. And if it's not, something needs to change. And the the verse to back that up is Deuteronomy 14.21. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That's an obvious one, right? You knew I was going to go to that verse before I even said it. I'll bet he's going to quote Deuteronomy 14.21 right now. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. I've always wondered what that verse meant. When you look at it, it seems like someone just dropped it in the middle of Deuteronomy out of nowhere. This is how it's been explained to me. I think it's good. I think it's solid. Don't take the means of life and kill someone with it. Hey, don't take, you know, don't, don't, don't boil a baby goat, a young goat, in its mother's milk. In other words, it's, the mother's milk is meant to be life-giving and life-sustaining. But we can take things that are life-giving and life-sustaining and good things, and we can boil our kids in them and our family in them, which I totally have, have done before. Okay, so family worship should be enjoyable, delightful, cheerful and engaging, um, which can be which can be difficult. But we'll talk about that practically. Okay, number one. Okay, so now we're to the outline here. Number one, what is family worship? Well, let's start with answering the question, what is worship? And then we'll answer what is family worship. First, let's get a handle on what is worship. Okay, and we've got a very concise definition here from Dr. D.A. Carson. Worship is the proper response 
of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. This side of the fall, human worship of God properly responds to the redemptive provisions that God has graciously made. While all true worship is God-centered, Christian worship is no less Christ-centered. Empowered by the Spirit and in line with the stipulations of the new covenant, it manifests itself in all our living, finding its impulse in the gospel, which restores our relationship with our Redeemer God, and therefore also with our fellow image bearers, our co-worshippers. Such worship therefore manifests itself both in adoration and in action. So do that in your family is what we're talking about. That is a, a, a great definition. It's a long definition with all kinds of great details. Some shorter definitions boiling that down. Uh, Tim Keller defines worship as obedient action motivated by the beauty of who God is in himself. Obedient action Motivated by the beauty of who God is in himself. We are worshiping God when we are joyfully and obediently responding to his glory. We are worshiping God when we are joyfully and obediently responding to his glory. Worship is the simultaneous exaltation of and exaltation in God. It is done formally as well as informally. It is done by people individually as well as by churches and families corporately. So we worship God. We respond to God. We obediently respond to Him in the way that He's called us to respond to Him. And we do it joyfully. We don't do it begrudgingly. We do it joyfully. And we're prompted to do this by the character of God. And who God is. So we do this formally. On a regular basis. With structure to it. Many of you do this through secret worship. You do this between you and the Lord. You have regular time. That you set aside. To worship God. To commune with God. We also as Christians have time. That we set aside and devote on a weekly basis. To gather together with other Christians. As God has called us to do. This is what we're doing on Sunday. Okay, when we gather together on Sunday, it is a worship service. Now, our worship may end up being evangelistic in that those who don't know the Lord may be drawn to the Lord through our worship. But we gather together not to evangelize. We gather together to worship God. And the foundation of why we gather is who God is. He is worthy and deserving of all honor and praise. So we formally get together. We've got structure. Okay, we have a, a liturgy, which just means we have an order of how we do things, making sure that we do the things that God has required us to do. And we come and we worship him and we praise him as Ephesians 1.12 says. This is why we are saved. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So you all worship informally and formally. And so by formally, I just mean regular. There's structure to it. It's not haphazard. You, you, you set times to do this. And you do that. And you also do it informally, I imagine. 
You're just prompted to. Okay, you uh, you read something in His Word that you that, that provokes worship in you. You didn't plan to do it, but it does. Your heart is warmed. Your 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 mind is enlightened. Your your soul is stirred. Whatever it is, and you you worship God. You thank Him, or you're driving up in the mountains, right? And you uh, you see the mountains, or this happens to me every time I go up there. I see the mountains, or see a Lake Tahoe, or a waterfall, or a sunrise, or a sunset. You can be down here wherever wherever you are, and you see something, right? Proverbs 9, Psalm nineteen one: The heavens declare the glory of God, and you see the glory of God declared, and and there's a response that it it provokes in you. You, you may not do it out loud. It may be between just you and God and the, in your heart, but you're thankful and you're grateful and you let him know. And you should let him know. That's worship. Obediently and joyfully responding to him. But it's not just informal. It's formal. It's formal. We're disciplined about this. We set time aside to worship him because you all know that you'll go through seasons where the, if it's just informal worship, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Your heart grows cold. Your heart grows hard. You get distracted. You get busy. And, and, and God's glory is not getting through like it does when you're more um, soft toward it. And so we designate times of regular worship. And we do that as a church when we get together, together on Sundays. And you should do it. You should do it personally, just in your secret life. You should be disciplined about this to make sure that God gets his worship. Because it's not just about I'm going to worship you when I feel like worshiping you. It's going to be, no, it's, the foundation is you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of praise. And so I'm going to make sure that I worship you and I praise you because it is what you deserve from me. Okay, so it's really important. So, so we, we do this. So that's, what, that's what worship is. Our joyful and obedient response to the glory of God. So what is family worship? Well, in a sense, it's doing that in your family. It's doing that in your, in your home. There are three basic elements that have been historically practiced by families coming together in worship. These elements are also demonstrated throughout Scripture in the formal worship of the local church. And here they are. They're really simple. Okay, what is family worship, practically speaking? Well, a family should read the word together. A family should pray together. And third, a family should sing together. Now, I do believe, remember at the very beginning when I said Scripture does not require formal family worship. Now, in this class, I'm making a case for formal family worship, regular, structured family worship. But the Bible doesn't require, right, you've never seen that mapped out. You must once a day or twice a day. It doesn't say that. It doesn't even say that for a quiet time or devotional time. You must once a day or twice a day. I mean, we can infer it, but it's not explicit. I'm going to try to compel you to that to see the wisdom in it. But it's not, the Bible doesn't require that formal, regular, set, structured time of worship in your home. But Scripture certainly requires worship in our home. Specifically that we read the Bible in our homes that we pray to God in our homes and that we sing to God in our homes. Singing to God isn't just something that, you know, hit the church in the last couple hundred years with bands or something. I mean, God requires us to sing to him and his people have always sung to him. So the way that we respond to God, this is so we're, we're narrowing it down. OK, well, how does God call us to respond to him? Well, he calls us to respond to him through the reading of his word through prayer, and through song. 
Okay, the reading of his word through prayer and through song. So we must read together in our homes. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. We ought to pray together. Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And we ought to sing together. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Family worship throughout history. Joel Beakey says this about the Puritans. and the Puritans, properly speaking, the, the, the century of the Puritans is like from 1560 to 1660. So we're talking about uh, Christians, specifically Christians in England from 15 or Great Britain from 1560 to 1660. When you look at what was cranked out from the church in those hundred years, it's unprecedented. The theology that was cranked out, the Christianity that was cranked out, the, the, the orthopraxy, the orthodoxy, the, the godliness, the, the, the churches, the, the evangelism. It was just, it was wild. It was wild. Um, so in those hundred years. So Joel Beakey makes this observation. Because see, when I hear that, when I look at that, I'm fascinated by the Puritans. And there's, you got to take, you know, you don't just swallow everything. But, but I'm, I want to know, what did they do? What did they do that just transformed their communities? And one of the things that they were devoted to was family worship, formal family worship. The Puritans saw family worship so foundational. Now, I, this goes too far, I believe, but just, just listen. The Puritans saw family worship so foundational that they would bar a man from communion if he failed to lead his family in worship. And many of us don't even know what family worship is. Or in any idea how to do it. You see how far we've come in 400 years. Family worship is the foundation of child rearing, would have been their belief. As family worship goes, so will go the family. The Puritans thought family worship was the whole backbone of society. J.I. Packer affirms this, but family worship was also to the Puritans vitally important daily and indeed twice daily. The Puritans recommended the family as a family should hear the word, read and we hear the word read and pray to God. So most Puritan families would, and, and, and many of the churches would require the men to lead their families in formal worship twice a day. Some of you know Spurgeon's famous devotional. What's it called? Morning and evening. Okay. That was to be used for family worship. Spurgeon led his family in worship every morning and every evening. And you know, when he died, you know what his wife said she missed the most about him? Family worship. That's what she missed the most. Was those times around the table with he and their two sons worshiping, worshiping God together, reading his word, praying together and and singing together. So in the history of the church, up until the last couple hundred years, this was... This was a normal part of, of church, church life. 
In fact, Richard Baxter, there's a great book about Richard Baxter. Uh, that, well, well, Richard Baxter, sorry, wrote it about being a pastor called the Reformed Pastor. Uh, when he says a Reformed Pastor, he doesn't mean Calvinistic. He means just um, re- Reformed and, and, and changed in, in, in practice and devoted to the Lord. And he wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor in England. Um, he was called to a ministry in a little town called Kidderminster, which had uh, 2,000 people. Um, they estimated there were 800 homes and, and 2,000 people. And when they brought him to pastor this church, there was this huge empty church that saw, seated 1,000 people in the small town of 2,000, and nobody went to it. Nobody went to it. And so they called Richard Baxter to come in and begin to pastor this uh, little church as far as people was concerned, but you know this large building. And when he describes the community, when he first showed up, it was... He said, you'd, you'd walk down a typical street and you'd pass all these homes and you'd, you'd, you'd maybe uh, see, you know, on a Sunday, you'd maybe see one family on an entire street that was maybe worshiping the Lord together. Um, one family that stood out as being a, a family that was committed to the church and committed to Christ. You'd see them in, in, in worship. But, 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 but the, the state of the society that he was called was, was really bad. And it was vile and, and, and drunkenness and debauchery. And, and the way he described it was, it was just, just like a cauldron of sin. Well, by the end of his ministry there, every Sunday, the church was packed. Church was packed. How many people did the church see? A thousand people. So by the end of his ministry there, half the community half the community was in church. George Whitfield, the famous evangelist, came and visited this town visited Richard Baxter and confirmed all of this. And his description was that when he would walk the streets, home after home after home, what he heard was singing to God coming out of the homes. So worship was happening on Sundays, right, in the church, but worship was happening in in the homes. Richard Baxter was a big advocate of this. And he challenged men and he called men to lead their families in the worship of God in their homes and had a dramatic impact on their community. The name of the little book that I recommended to you that was really helpful in preparing the material for this class was A Neglected Grace. And so Jason, the author of that book, he says that family worship is a neglected grace today. It's a grace that God gives us, but it gets it gets neglected a lot. Um, and. Worship is what we do as Christians today, except in our families, except in our families, um, typically, which is sad. Worship is what we do. We do. We, we're pretty good with our devotional life. Uh, we, we gather together uh, as a body on Sundays, but it, it doesn't take place in the families informally much and certainly not formally. It's it's pretty pretty scarce in fact that's why i know i mean many of you it's probably a foreign concept the idea of family worship what is that what does that look like this is what charles spurgeon said we deeply want a revival and this was in his day right so this is 1800s we deeply want a revival of domestic religion the Christian family was the bulwark of godliness in the days of the Puritans. So here he is just a couple hundred years later, and he's reflecting back, and it's already getting bad where he is. But in these evil times, hundreds of families of so-called Christians have no family worship, no restraint upon growing sons, and no wholesome instruction or discipline. 
How can we hope to see the kingdom of our Lord advance when his own disciples do not teach his gospel to their own children? O Christian men and women, be thorough in what you do and know and teach. Let your families be trained in the fear of God and be yourselves holiness unto the Lord. So shall you stand like a rock amid the surging waves of error and ungodliness which rage around us. No one today is even good for a quote like that, right? I mean, what a quote. But here he is. So we're a couple hundred years later. He's a couple hundred years after the age of the Puritans. And he's looking around saying, it's getting bad. And, and, and his, his reason, his, his thought as to why things were going so bad in the church was that he was seeing family worship neglected in the homes. And so he was seeing generations raised up that were not devoted to the Lord, not devoted to the worship of the Lord. And we fast forward a couple hundred years and, and, and the state of the church is even, is even worse, is even worse. So if his, if his commentary is correct, then a big reason is the neglect of family worship. That's, that's highly possible because it's neglected now even more than it was neglected in his day. And so it's possible that the, the, the reason, one of the reasons why Okay, the, the state of the church is, is not what it was 400 years ago. It could very well be. One reason could very well be a part of it is the neglect of family worship. It's something to consider. It's something to think about. When the church was flourishing, it was a really big deal. It was a really big deal to worship in the homes. Number two. Number two. The only other point we're, or question we're answering. So why should I devote myself uh, to leading my family in the formal worship of God. So, because what we're advocating is a is a set time and a regular time and a structured time, making sure that reading happens, making sure that praying happens happens, making sure that singing happens, making sure that these things are taking place in our home. Okay, little paragraph. Times of formal worship should be done in all spheres of our lives, privately with our family and with our church, in the same way that a family may formally come together around a meal or some sort of entertainment, a family should formally come together around Jesus. Many families regularly gather around a dinner table to eat together. We readily acknowledge that without food we will starve, and so we carve out time to break from our regular duties in order to nourish our bodies. In the same way, we should come before Jesus, the bread of life, and we should feast together on his word in order to bring nourishment to our souls. So this is just a little paragraph that I wrote a couple years ago as I was thinking through this and reading the scriptures and, and reading the quotes that I've shared and the quotes that I will share and then going to God's word and saying, okay, Lord, why why is this important? Because I know, because I knew for me, I know that if I don't, if I'm not totally convinced from God's word that what I'm about to do is important and necessary, I'll do it for about a month or six months and then I'm going to give up. So I knew that I had to be convinced and compelled. And these were the conclusions I came to. I looked at what my family was gathering around doing. I looked at what my family did do on a regular basis. I looked at what my family was devoted to. Okay, whether we're sharing a meal together or getting to baseball practice and getting to baseball games. or We have a lot of things that we're formal about and we're set about and we're structured about and we're devoted about. 
And I couldn't imagine, you know, having a conversation with my kids when they were older and saying, you know, we were devoted to all those things, but we were never formal about worshiping God. And we never set aside specific time to worship God. And I felt compelled. I felt convinced that their souls need this. Genesis eighteen nineteen in regards to Abraham, God said, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Okay, so we're talking about a context for that, a platform for that. If you have children, your wife, you need to be taught, you need to hear the word of God. How will that happen? Just informally or formally? Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So informally for sure, but just informally? Or should there be a formal time devoted to this? Psalm 78 as well. We won't read that tonight. It's a long psalm, but I would encourage you to read it. Here's another reason, going specifically after men. Answering this question, why should I devote myself to leading my family in the formal worship of God? If godly men are present, godly men lead their families in the worship of God. So whether it's formal or not, it is mandatory that men are to lead their families in the worship of God. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the question becomes, you know, men, how will we do this in our families? How will we ensure that this happens in our families? Will it just be informal? Will it just be taking opportunities as they as they rise? Will it just be sort of haphazard? Will it just be, you know, get it as you can get it? Or, or will there, is there benefit to having formal time that is set aside for this? That's the question before you. But it is definitely true that if godly men are present, then they must lead their families in worshiping God, in loving God, and obediently and joyfully responding to God. Men must lead their families in this. If there's a family, maybe there's children, and there's not a godly man present, then there's a godly woman present. And if she loves the Lord, then she should lead her children in this worship. If she has a husband, but he doesn't love the Lord, but she loves the Lord, she can lead her children in worship. Let me give you some more quotes. Maybe quotes help you. Maybe they don't. So I know some of you probably are just unmoved by uh, by quotes from, from godly men and women that have gone before us. They have a big impact on me, so I'm throwing them out there in case they affect some of you. Uh, Donald Whitney said, he wrote a book about family worship, He said, without some regularity and structure and purpose in regards to family worship, it is one of those things that we assume we are doing but never actually do. Consistently, father, consistent father-led family worship is one of the best, steadiest, and most easily measurable ways to bring up children in the Lord's discipline and instruction. Here's what Matthew Henry said, and this is all really targeted at, at men and homes. Masters of families, which is a really cool title, by the way. (laughs) Masters of families who preside in the other affairs of the house must go before their households in the things of God. 
They must be as prophets, priests, and kings in their own families. And as such, they must keep up family doctrine, family worship, and family discipline. Then is there a church in the house? And this is the family religion I am persuading you to. You must read the scriptures to your families in a solemn manner, requiring their attendance on your reading and their attention to it, and inquiring sometimes whether they understand what you read. Those masters of families who make conscience of doing this daily, morning and evening, reckoning it part of that which the duty of every day requires, I am sure they have comfort and satisfaction in so doing and find it contributes much to their own improvement in Christian knowledge and the edification of those that dwell under their shadow. John Knox, Scottish reformer, said, Brethren, you are ordained of God to rule your own houses in his true fear and according to his word. Within your houses, I say, in some cases, you are bishops and kings. Your wife, children, servants, and family are your bishopric in charge. Of you it shall be required how carefully and diligently you have instructed them in God's true knowledge, how you have studied to plant virtue in them and to repress vice. And therefore, I say, you must make them partakers in reading, exhorting, and in making common prayers, which I would in every house were used once a day at least. But above all things, dear brethren, study to practice in life that which the Lord commands, and then be you assured that you shall never hear nor read the same without fruit. And Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest American theologian, said, Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ and wholly influenced and governed by his rules. And family education and order are some of the chief means of grace. If these fail, all other means are likely to prove ineffectual. If these are duly maintained, all the means of grace will be likely to prosper and be successful. Let me now, therefore, once more, before I finally cease to speak to this congregation, repeat and earnestly press the counsel which I have often urged on the heads of families while I was their pastor to great painfulness in teaching, warning and directing their children, bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, beginning early where there is yet opportunity and maintaining constant diligence in labors of this kind. One of the last things he said to his church before he left. These were taken directly from the book, A Neglected Grace. Here's nine more practical reasons to implement family worship. Number one, family worship centers the home upon Christ. So if family worship is regularly devoted to, and if coming together as a family uh, to worship Jesus Christ is done on a regular basis, then it has a way of centering the home, making Christ the center of the home, because you have this repetitious activity that you're always coming back to no matter what's going on, and that is the worship of God. I was a kid, I don't remember how old I was, uh, but do you remember when the, was it called the 
the space shuttle, and upon re-entry, there were seven people on board, and it disintegrated in the air. What was the name of that space shuttle? Was it the Challenger or the? Was it the Challenger? I remember seeing that. Nick, what? Okay, thanks. So it was the Columbia. And uh, it was, yeah, it was re-entering the atmosphere. I remember I was home for lunch and I was watching it. It was a big deal. Everybody was watching because it was, they were coming back and it was a really big deal. I can still remember that sitting there watching on the television. It, it blew up. I forget his name, but the commander, the astronaut who was the, the commander uh, of that ship was, was devoted to family worship, actually. Uh, so what he did, he was going to be gone for 18 days, whatever that was, mission preparation, the actual mission before he was going to be back home. So what he did before he left was he made 18 videos of himself leading his family in, in the reading of God's word and in the instruction of God's word and prayer and singing made 18 videos. He was that sold out to regular family worship that he was, he was, he was going to leave and wanted to make sure that his, his presence was still with them, leading them in family worship. I can't imagine how valuable those are to, to his wife and his children today. Committed, committed to this family worship. So it centers the home upon Christ. Family worship certainly encourages our children in Christ on a regular basis because Christ is who we're speaking about and praying to and singing to. Family worship encourages Christian character because, of course, you're reading God's word and you're talking about responding to God's word and we're talking about what it means to follow the Lord and, and, and what it means to, to think well and to speak well and to behave well. Family worship encourages peace in the home. It encourages peace in the home. And the reason is, is that if there's issues, you got to get them worked out before you come together for family worship. You know, if I've just sinned against my wife or sinned against my children and family worship is in 15 minutes, dang it. I've got 15 minutes to repent. Because I'm not going to be a hypocrite, right? I'm not going to sing and pray and read when I've just sinned against my family. So it encourages peace in the home. Hey, get these things worked out. You've got to get these things settled. We don't want to come before the Lord and, and worship Him with divided hearts. This happens all the time in our family, and it forces us to deal with things in a timely manner. Family worship binds the family together. Binds the family together brings the family together. We'll talk about how this works and what this looks like, but um, going around in a circle with your family and, and talking about things that you're praying for, it binds the family together. Okay, it, bring, it brings us together. Family worship number six provides common knowledge. Okay, we're talking about the same things. We're reading the same things. We're studying the same things. Family worship equips our children for corporate worship. Totally. It is practice for Sunday. It is practice for Sunday. Okay, you, if you have kids or you've had little kids or you've sat around little kids in church, you know how difficult it can be to have children in church. So what is family worship in the home? 
It's practice. I mean, I'm, you, you're going to hear, I don't, I don't like roll out a pulpit into my living room, you know, and, and wear a tie and my children sit in black chairs. I mean, it's totally different than this, right? In case you're wondering. We don't mimic what happens here on a Sunday. You know, Curtis doesn't come over and pray for half an hour. We don't do any of those things. It's totally different. Totally different. I don't preach for an hour and a half. It's totally different. Brevity is actually one of the things we'll talk about. But, um, so it's, it's, it's completely different. But um, it's practice for, for corporate words because my kids are learning at home how to sit and how to listen and how important worship is and what a big deal it is. And they're more prepared when they come together here. Uh, you're like, really? Because I've seen your kids and it doesn't look like you're doing a good job. So I know. I know. We're working on it. Number eight, family worship reinforces spiritual headship. Okay, if you've got a godly man and a godly woman at home, the godly man should be leading family worship. Okay, your wife should not be leading family worship. That is not appropriate if you're home. If you can't be there, that's fine. But if you're there, man, this is our responsibility. So we lead our families in this. So it's teaching, it's remembering spiritual headship. And then finally, number nine, family worship provides systematic discipleship. This is one of the greatest things because I get to think about, okay, what do, I've got all this time now. What are we going to work through? What are we going to talk about? What scriptures are we going to read? What books are we going to read together? And you can systematically disciple, disciple your family. Okay, last thing to, com- to uh, compel you, right? Because that's what we're doing tonight. Trying to ex- ex- get an idea in our minds. Again, in weeks to come, much more, hopefully, but much more clear. I know tonight it's like, okay, we read, we pray, and sing. What does that look like? So we're going we're gonna to get to that, but... Worshiping God, reading, praying, and singing together as a family in your home will give you lots of ideas. And I'm trying to appeal to your heart. Okay, do you see the benefit of this? Okay, do you see you see how much good can come from this? And so, I heard this quote, and, and, and it had a big impact on me. It, it may be lost here, I don't know, but it, it might it might speak to some of you. Some regards to John Patton, who served as a missionary in the South Pacific. My son Brady just read a biography on him. His father was an amazing influence on his life. And, and this scene that I'm going to read to you, it captures the, the depth of love between John and his father and the, the power of the impact of John's life of uncompromising courage and, and purity. Okay. So the time came for the young Patton to leave home and go to Glasgow to attend divinity school and become a city missionary in his early 20s. From his hometown of Torthorwald to the train station at Killernock was a 40-mile walk. And so he, he has this experience with his dad who had, you know, who had led his family in, in family worship. He has this experience with his dad. Their hearts were so knit together. This is, this is what I'm going for. This is what I'm after. It's what I want with my children. It's what I desire. So 40 years later, he, he writes on this experience with his dad. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand, while his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow but in later years white as snow, streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. 
His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me. And his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. And when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat and adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me further. So I darted into the side of the road and I wept for time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home and began to return his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze, and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. A good goal by the will of God and only by His help to have hearts for our children and have children's hearts for us like this. And one way to foster this is through regular and delightful worship of Christ in our homes. But remember what I said at the beginning. Family worship is not required by the Bible. A set formal time is never required. That said, reading, praying, and singing should be taking place in the home. No excuses for laziness, but no excuses for legalism either. Family worship, if done, is not the most important spiritual thing you do. And then finally, family worship should be enjoyable for everyone, delightful, cheerful, and engaging. So don't get hung up on the form here tonight or in weeks to come. That's not the point. Don't get hung up on, on the form. Um, I will advocate a certain form, but I'll advocate that secondarily, primarily Primarily, we're advocating uh, the reading of God's Word in the home and instruction from God's Word in the home. Praying to the Lord together in the home and singing to God together in the home. Obediently worshiping God the way He's called us to worship Him and joyfully worshiping Him in our homes. 
This is what family worship is. That's what it's not. Uh, this is why we should be excited about learning more about family worship and open to the idea of devoting ourselves to it in our homes. Next Wednesday, the following Wednesday, let's look real practically at what this can look like. Okay, what does it look like to read God's word in our home? What are some different ways that we can do that? What does it look like to pray to the Lord in our homes? What are some different ways that we can do that? What does it look like to sing to God in our homes? What are some different ways that we can do that? Let's see if God can equip us for uh, a good a good thing and a good task. Okay, that's it for tonight. Let me pray. Uh, close our time. If you've got a couple of questions, you can come up. I'll stick around for a bit and you can ask me. Otherwise, you can write out a question on one of those cards again and just make sure you give it to me before you leave and I'll make sure that you get an answer somehow, some way. I'll pass it on to Curtis. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us together tonight. Thank you for giving us a place to meet. And I'm excited to, uh, to gather together with your people and talk about what could be. God, there are obviously so many ways that we can, we can grow as your church. There are so many ways that we can mature as your church. There's a lot of rebuke that we can take as we look at your people and generations past. There's a lot of encouragement we can find, God, when we see how maybe we have matured as your people. But Lord, we ask that you would, you would move in our hearts and move in our families. God, it would seem that there was a day when your people were more devoted to holiness. When your people took more seriously commitment to your church. When your people were more committed to worshiping you in their, in their own lives and in their homes. It would seem there was a day when when your people, when your, when your, when your men, when husbands and fathers were more devoted and more committed to holding one another accountable to being godly leaders who labored, who labored to lay down their life for their families and led them first and foremost in the worship of Jesus Christ. So God, if there's a maturing that we need and if there is something we need to get back to, God, I pray that you would stir among us with your Holy Spirit. You would send your Spirit to compel us, to convict us, to help us, to equip us. Because, Father, maybe the next generation could look different. And maybe the generation after that could look even different. We pray that our children and our grandchildren, and if you haven't come back, Lord, our great-grandchildren would love you better than we have, would know more of you than we have, would be more devoted to you, would be less lazy than us, would be more holy than us, be more devoted to your word, God, not for our name's sake and not for our legacy, but for your glory, for your name. That we would become more and more of that city on a hill that you've called us to be. Salt and light in this wicked world. So help us. 
strengthen us, call us, move in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.